Please turn again in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 4. We will continue this journey of redemption together. Last time we were here as Moses is kneeling at the burning bush, we saw that how he began to experience God and how we experience God in our lives through our calling, through our relationship with him, through all the challenges of life, and then also through the blessings that he gives to us. And we rejoiced in those things. The title of our message this morning is The End of Our Excuses. The End of Our Excuses. The word exodus means to depart out of, to, to make a way out, to exit. And it's my prayer today that all the excuses maybe that we put up in our minds or in our lives that prevent us from really experiencing God and serving God the way that God deserves. I hope that the Lord will bless us to make an exodus out of our excuses that we sometimes put up. A person once said, often, often an excuse is only a guarded lie. I appreciate uh, the prayer that Brother Robert prayed about about making changes in our lives. A person once said, don't make excuses, make changes. And I appreciate that thought. Well, here as Moses is being called by God to do this incredible task of being the deliverer, of delivering two million slaves out from under the, the uh, power of the most powerful empire in the world at that time, as Moses is hearing God challenge him, as, as Moses is hearing God call him uh, to do something that would seem humanly impossible, he, just like us, begins to formulate opposition in his mind to God's plan. And he, he starts to say, but God this, but God that. And he starts to make all these excuses about why He's not the guy about how that it's not the time or or he puts all these roadblocks up in the journey of redemption. And and we see God firmly and lovingly help uh, Moses through this uh, this mental and emotional opposition that he has for what God's will is for his life and in the world. Maybe maybe you can feel a kinship to Moses in this in your life maybe maybe if not at this very moment but at other times in your life you've you felt that and and you've seen yourself you know make excuses I, I think we all think that we have good reasons why we don't do this or that but if really it was all bared away we would probably say you know Lord uh, I really I really am just making excuses before you what what excuses do you make in your life of why that maybe you're not a better wife well maybe if my husband was better lord i would be a better wife maybe you would i'm not saying that that's not true but it's really an excuse you should just really do what god you should really be and do what god has said you should be and what you do same same for husbands same 
as a church member about attending the house of God or as Brother Robert challenged us, uh, why don't I pray more? Well, I, I don't have time or I'm too busy or uh, I don't know what to say or I'm, I'm, maybe you're like Moses. I, I'm not eloquent, so I, I, don't, I can't pray like you know, Brother Kevin or, or, or somebody else maybe that you admire in prayer. And so the litany of excuses, you know, one thing that human beings are all great at across the board is making excuses. And so, myself included, <laughs> myself included, uh, but I hope that the Lord will really deliver us today from being a people that are, instead of trying to make a way, are trying to make a way out. Uh, we're trying to, to find a way uh, to follow fully the Lord. So may it, may it be so for us today may we come to the end of our excuses let's begin our journey and continue the journey in exodus chapter 4 and moses answered and said but there it is right but behold they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice for they will say the lord hath not appeared unto thee we just sidestep right there very quick do you see the beginning of excuses already you know even even before this you know he said well you know lord i'm not worthy he's already said that right he's already said uh, but lord i don't know your name and now uh, we see moses it is so typical of us oh lord i believe you but i don't think everybody else is going to believe you so i'm just going to check out here because hey i'm with your plan god but you know I don't think everybody else is going to get on board, right? Maybe we could say, well, no, this, this prayer partner thing is, is a good idea, but, you know, uh, I'm going to excuse myself out of it. Oh, I'm so glad we do ministry at, at the nursing home, but I'm going to excuse myself out. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad we have a fellowship and lunch. I'm going to excuse myself out. Oh, Lord, I'm so glad we do uh, missions and, and we do work days at the camp, but I'm going to excuse myself out. Lord, I'm on board with what you're doing. But, you know, if you get everybody else on board, then, you know, Lord, it'll, it'll make me feel better and I can come on board too. Oh, it's just, it just steps on our toes and, and our minds and we, we think, oh, Lord, how many times I have excused myself, Lord, when, when I haven't, it hadn't been really that others weren't believing. It was really that I didn't believe. The way that I should. And the Lord said unto him. Here's God bringing an end to excuses. He says what's in. What is that in thine hand. Now does anybody believe that God didn't know. What was in Moses' hand right. Pretty sure God knew. Uh, he wasn't trying to get taught. And he said a rod. And he said cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it. Now, here's where me and Moses would have been a little bit different. Moses didn't even hesitate at that. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, most times I've seen when people grab hold of the snake, they grab it by the neck. But, man, he immediately obeyed the Lord. So we give him credit there. And it became a rod in his hand. He said that they may believe 
that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob had appeared unto thee. He begins to give him these signs to bring an end to excuses. And the Lord said, Furthermore unto him, Now put thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom, and again plucked it out of his bosom. Behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, especially of the Nile, is referred to, and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land that's a that's a premonition there isn't it of, of one of the judgments that god is going to bring against egypt well you would have thought that would have been enough to end all of moses excuses you would think as many things as god has shown us in our lives that we would have all come to the end of all of our excuses but not so moses uh still says i do protest i do protest and Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Now, I can really fellowship with Moses here. You know, I really struggled with the Lord about even my own call to preach. And the feeling of inadequacy that comes into a heart to consider oneself to be a servant of God, to be called of God, to be a minister of the gospel. And it wasn't so much with me that I, that I doubted natural ability, not that I thought I was a, have ever thought that I'm a great orator or eloquent in any way, but that wasn't the struggle that I had with the Lord. It was knowing the way that I am, how mischievous I am how um, immature that I could be sometimes, how that the way that I act uh, affects people. And I was like, Lord, don't you think that uh, you could find somebody better than me uh, to preach to your people? But, you know, God had to and is working still in my life through those things, just, just as he did with Moses, just as he is doing with you. But, you know, he's, he's, he's crying out the excuse of inability, like we do. Well, Lord, I, I don't share the gospel with people because, you know, I'm not smart, and, and I'll, I'll mess it up. I remember a dear sister calling me one time, sweet sister, and she, she was trying to witness to somebody. She said, Brother Nathan, I'm, I'm afraid I turned the tulip into a turnip. <laughs> she said, and I, and I feel that, you know, we all feel our inadequacies. We, we all feel our, our inabilities, and, and that's real. And, but know that God knows those in all of us, and, and he's, so he's going to deal with him about that. He said, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. A lot of people even thought maybe Moses actually had a speech impediment or maybe, maybe he stuttered. We know that the Apostle Paul 
even had a thorn in the, in the flesh that he prayed to be delivered from. And the Lord said unto him, listen to this, Who hath made man's mouth? Or maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Do you remember one time in the story of the Bible that God even used a donkey to speak His word to someone? That's humbling, isn't it? That's humbling. Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, Oh my Lord, send I pray thee. He said, Please don't do this to me, God. Right? Please. He, that's what that I pray thee means. Please. By the hand of him who thou was sent, please use someone else. Well, I just want you to, to notice this in verse 14. God's been really patient with Moses. God's answered all of his excuses, given him these powerful signs. He's, he's told him any inadequacy that you have, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you overcome. But Moses still at the end, he says, Lord, just please pick somebody else besides me. So just remember that God is long-suffering, that God is patient. And it's not like here that God's throwing a temper tantrum or that, you know, God's about to blow his top with Moses. But the obstinacy, the stubbornness, the, the, the doubtfulness, the excuses. Notice that it says it angered the heart of God. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth. And will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of a God. And thou shalt take this rod. Remember little children, I told you to draw that rod and look at that rod. He said, now take this rod in thine hand wherewith thou shalt do signs. Oh, may we come today to the end of our excuses. We're going to go back just a little bit, back into chapter 3 and, and pick up on this because I, I want to begin where the excuses began. Remember the first excuse that Moses gave? He said, who am I, right? Who am I? The excuse, write this down, the excuse of unworthiness. The excuse of unworthiness. I want to give you a verse to help you with this. It helps me so much. And I love it so much. In the book of Romans chapter 8. That has already been alluded to. What a powerful chapter in the Bible. A, verse that be, uh, a, a chapter that begins with no condemnation. And ends with no separation. Hallelujah. But if you're dealing with unworthiness in your call. If you're dealing with unworthiness worthiness in your life and I and I talk to people and I see people even people that believe 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they feel, I'm not worthy to be baptized. I'm not worthy uh, to be a church member. Oh, that's so true. That's true of everyone in here that has been baptized. It's true of everyone in here that, that is a church member. We were all unworthy. We were all unworthy. But the thing about it is the people that don't come, it's not that they believe that they're so unworthy. It's that they truly don't believe that Christ is worthy enough. Let your faith help you to overcome your own unworthiness. God will not let your unworthiness be an excuse to not come to Christ or to not serve Him and follow Him. Listen to this. Oh, let this empower you. Let this shout down the excuses in your heart. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Can you say hallelujah to that? Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, Where are your accusers? She said, There are none, Lord. He said, I do not condemn thee either. Go thy way and sin no more. He took away all her excuses. He takes away all of ours. I can't claim our unworthiness. I can't claim my unworthiness before the Lord. Moses said, Who am I? God said, You're nobody. You're nobody, you're somebody of the world, you're the trash, the world is thrown away, you're a broken vessel. But you know what? He said, that fits my MO just fine. Because I can heal broken lives and broken things. And unworthy things, God says, is what I can use best. Because it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. Oh, beloved, like our first parents, like our first parents, like our first parents, Adam and Eve, don't we all want to hide our nakedness? You remember? They had disobeyed the Lord and they tried to make clothes out of fig leaves and hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. And God cried out to Adam and He said, Adam, where art thou? And He said, Lord, we hid ourselves for we knew that we were unworthy. We were naked in thy sight. And God said, Who told you you were unworthy? Who told you? Oh, isn't it wonderful for the holy God, the one who is perfect, the one who never made any excuses, to say to your heart and to mine today, Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That makes me want to bust the doors wide open for Jesus in my life. God knows all about the doubtful deliverer here. That's what we're going to call Moses. Remember doubting Thomas in, in the uh, New Testament? Here's the doubting Moses, the doubtful deliverer. God Knows all about him. And I love how he encourages him forward. Listen to what it says in, in, the, book, in the book of Philippians. Let's just turn there very quickly. 
just to encourage our hearts because I know that the devil uses this against you and he, and he uses it against me. He tried to use it against the Apostle Paul. Oh, you were a blasphemer. You, you hated the name of Jesus. You persecuted the church of God. You were such a Pharisee, Paul. Brethren, oh, aren't you glad you can say that? Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul said, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, if anybody would have a real excuse about why they shouldn't be the servant of God, I have it, he said, but... Like Moses, Lord, I botched it so bad. You know, you gave me such a, a gracious deliverance in my birth and, and raised me in the house of Pharaoh. And then I blew it in a moment of bad decision and killed the Egyptian. And now I've spent 40 years of what he probably thought was a wasted time in life. But notice that God doesn't deal with any of that as he is calling and dealing with Moses God doesn't deal with what was behind. God said, let's look at what is ahead. Oh, beloved, it is not that you don't think you're good enough. That's not the question. But what think ye of Christ is the question today. The question, is Christ worthy enough? Is Christ good enough? He has said, that we are uncondemned. That we are worthy in Him. So don't let that be an excuse. The excuse of unworthiness. As Brother Jeff says, much more could be said on that though. <laughs> Number two, the excuse of the unknown. The excuse of the unknown. You know, we want to we plead ignorance, don't we? Well, I just don't know how. I just don't know when. I just don't know where, Lord. Moses says, well, God, I don't know. I don't even know your name. You're unknown. Oh, the unknown, Lord. <laughs> Go with me to the book of Isaiah 46. Oh, you need to highlight this in your Bible. Oh, you need to memorize this one, beloved. When, when the doubts and the excuses begin to come up, especially the excuse of ignorance. Ignorance is not an excuse, beloved. But it is a call for maturity in your mind, in mine, and in our lives. <laughs> Brother Kevin, if you're speeding down the road, if you're speeding through a town, you get pulled over by a cop. He said, uh, Mr. Pope, kind of got a heavy foot there, sir. Brother Kevin said, oh, I didn't know I was speeding. I didn't know I was speeding. Ignorance. Oh, I said, well, sir, there were, there were signs. Remember God giving signs here? He said there were signs that had said speed limit. But Kevin, I didn't see them. I, I, I went past all of them. I didn't see them. Well, the cop's going to say, well, Mr. Poe, you seem like such a fine fellow. And since you didn't know you were speeding and since you didn't see the uh, stop signs, we're just going to forgo the whole uh, ticket and court thing. No, of course not. Of course not. For ignorance is not an excuse. 
And God didn't give, let Moses back out on the unknown. He said, well, you want to know my name? Here it is, brother. Here's my name. Go and tell them, I am, hath met you and sent you unto them. Here in Isaiah, oh man, we just love this so much. Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I what? I am God. And there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. We don't know the unknown, but we know the one who does. Hallelujah. And has declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure. Can you, faith, lay hold of that? God, I don't know the unknown. I don't know what tomorrow holds. But I know that you hold tomorrow. Maybe we might make excuse about our giving. You know, uh, Lord, I know you've told me to give to the church, but uh, I don't know what's going to happen next month. And I might need that money that you said is to be set aside and, and to be the first fruits to you. Do, do you think that God doesn't know, beloved? Do you think that God uh, can't provide? Oh, he's, he's dealing real faith, wants to find a way, not a way out. Real faith wants to find a way, even if it's not the easy way. See, that's why that we make these guarded lies or, or these great reasons that we commit, we'll call them excuses, is because sometimes the things that God calls us to do is not by sight. It is by faith, for the just must live by faith. And it's not easy. But that's why He's given you the faith. And that's why He's given you His help. And that's why even the unknown, He said, you don't have to worry about the unknown. I've got it. I've got it. I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. To bring you to an expected end. Once Moses really knew God, he no longer feared the unknown, but he was empowered to be stronger than his excuses. And that's what I hope that this message will do for you and for me today, that we will be empowered to be stronger than our excuses. So the excuse of unworthiness, mark it out. The excuse of the unknown, God says, mark it out. What about the excuse of rejection? The excuse of rejection. We all want to be accepted, don't we? We all want to be loved and admired. And Moses' fear here. He says, Lord, I'm on board. I, I believe you. But I'm going to go back and none of them are going to believe you. Well, do y'all remember God already telling Moses earlier? If you just remember back in chapter 3. He already told Moses, you're going to go to the elders and they are going to believe you. Y'all remember that? Let, let's, let's, just, let's, let's just look at that uh, just real quick to remind ourselves back in chapter 3. Uh, he says, you're going, to, you're going to gather the elders, verse 16. 
Look at verse 18. And they shall hearken to thy, what? To thy voice. Oh, how quickly we forget the promises of God. Can I get an amen? How quickly we forget what God had said. God had already told Moses. This is probably some of why God got mad. He said, I've already told you, point blank, face to face, you're going to go to the elders, and the elders are going to believe you. And Moses now is saying, God, I'm on board, but I'm, when I go to them, they're not going to believe me. Well, what is Moses calling God? A liar. Oh, who does that sound like? Does that not sound like the father of lies? The father of excuses? As he whispered to our first mother Eve, hath God what said, hath God said, all oh, the hiss of the serpent, the excuse of rejection. I ask you here, I ask you here, and I ask you for your life and for mine, was it really the people's unbelief or was it really Moses' unbelief? I challenge you to understand that it was Moses' unbelief. It was Moses' unbelief. But oh, how many times do, do we make the excuses? Well, so-and-so's not doing it. And this person's not doing it. So that gives me an excuse to not do it. The excuse of rejection. Well, listen, it's never been easy to be a Christian. Can I get an amen? It wasn't, it wasn't meant to be that way. And I love what Jesus taught in the sermon on the mount. You know, we said one of the ways that, that we experience God, hallelujah, it's not just through our challenges, but it's through our blessings as well. And we hear Jesus kind of giving out the Bill of Rights in his Sermon on the Mount for, for his holy nation. And, and the Bill of Rights is you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed, you're blessed. Hallelujah, aren't you glad he loves to bless us? But here at the end, some of the, the blessings are, are only understood in, with a spiritual mind. For he says here, at the, at the end of this blessedness, this makarios, which actually means uh, a happiness that can't be taken away is what it means. And we read here in verse 10 through 12, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You might say, Lord, that don't sound like blessing. God said it's blessing. He tells us even to rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you you see doubt brings distress into the heart and into the life but trust means joy in the long run beloved joy in the long run is what we're after god did not fail moses did he sister gigi not in one place did god ever fail his man that trusted him upon this mountain, that brought him all of his excuses, and God slayed him one after the other. 
God, I challenge you to believe today and to answer me. Did God fail Moses? Say it with me in your heart. No, Brother Nathan. God's not going to fail you either. You're going to fail God. But God's never going to fail you. If we need the approval of men, beloved, we will never have the approval of God. He said, Lord, they're, they're just not going to believe me. God said, all right. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some, some signs. But before we get to the signs of triumph over excuses, we got to take care of one more excuse, don't we? There's probably actually all total here seven literal excuses. I've just kind of, some of them I've just kind of lumped together. It's a different terminology. But there's probably seven excuses here that Moses gives before God about why he can't do what God has called him to do. Why it's just not going to work. It's not, it's not practical. God is not pragmatic. And so lastly, he, he kind of, God's given him these signs. You know, God uh, has told him his name. Uh, God has taken away his sense of unworthiness. And so finally he just says, Lord, I just physically am not up to the job. Oh, oh I'm too old. Oh, uh, I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not poor enough. I, uh, I don't speak well. I'm not pretty enough. I, I'm too pretty. We hear that from the actresses nowadays that their beauty is a curse. What an excuse, right? I'm so beautiful that people just persecute me for my beauty. Oh, man, what a culture and age that we've come to, right? Mm. The excuse of inability. The excuse of inability he said, Lord, I'm not an eloquent man. Well, I can, I can relate to that. I can feel that. I love what the Bible says in the book of Philippians again. God just slays that excuse. Oh, we can, we can hear it. I love what one thing that Brother Jeff always says, uh, especially when he's, when he's uh, I, remember, I, I remember it so clearly several times when we were when he was giving charges to some of the first ministers in Africa. And I think it was the first time that I heard you say it. And I know you probably stole it from somebody. But he said, uh, God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies those whom he calls. And that gives me such hope for my life, for my ministry, for my marriage, for our church. Philippians chapter 4 Verse 13, do you know this one? I think you do. I can do all things through who? Through Christ which strengtheneth me. To know also, we, we love that Philippians 1.6 and we always talk about it in regards to salvation and our perseverance. But it, but it even also qualifies uh, to God's calling us to do things in our life that He which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God and Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything, but He doesn't give you the strength and ability and grace to do it. That's just the truth. That murders all our excuses. And isn't it wonderful here 
even though Moses angered God, that God said, okay, I can see this is a real issue for you. Moses, I've made your mouth. He said, I, I make the dumb. I, I, I'll be with you. He said, but I'm going to give you a helper. Raise your hand here today if you're glad in your life for the helpers that God has sent to you. Praise the Lord for help meets. Praise the Lord. That's why I said I don't want to leave the sisters out of that song. The sisters in the church were the ones that were there at the cross. They were there. The sister was one that was there at the tomb to first cry out the message of the resurrection. All sisters in my life have been some of the most powerful influence to help my heart heal, to encourage me to go on, to help me get rid of some of my excuses. And the brethren, and my brethren that know how it is, know how it is to fall down on your face, sometimes to fail so miserably that you feel like I can't even go on. But then God sent an Aaron. He said, Aaron's on his way, Moses. I've already, already knew about this. I've already started Aaron on his way. God could see Aaron on his way. And he said, he's going to be glad to meet you. And y'all are going to work together like Paul and Silas. Like Peter and Andrew. Like many others. Aren't you glad about our inability that we're not called to do it all on our own? Hallelujah. But we have one another. We have our brethren. And we're stronger together. So, beloved, let us challenge one another. Not, not in a haughty way. Not in a I'm better than thou way. But in a way of love. And the Bible says to provoke one another. To love. And to good works. Let us help one another be stronger than our excuses. To not find a way out, but to find a way. To find a way. Most often, in regards to our inability, most often, God will use what He has already given us. Isn't that awesome? It's not that you and I need something more. Oh, I love this thought. I'm so glad to preach this to y'all. Because it gives me such hope. Brother Jeff, you remember uh, that old cane that I, that I bought? I traded. I had a little uh, battery-powered fan. And remember the old man with the cane? And he saw that fan. He wanted to trade me my uh, fan for, my, for the cane. I still have that cane. And I thought about just putting it behind the pulpit and raising it up today. But we don't want to make God's pulpit a stage or or a performance. But most oftentimes, to help us with our inability, God will bless us to see what he's already given us and use that. So Moses is crying out all these excuses, right? And so God just says, okay, you're struggling. He says, what's that in your hand? What, what, if, what have you got on you right now? <laughs> Moses was a shepherd, right? He just had this old staff. They're a dime a dozen. He probably had 
20 in the closet at home, one for every day of the month. What do you have in your hand? What time do you have? What talents do you have? What blessings do you have? What's in your hand today? Moses said, God, is just this old staff. God said, all right, with that staff, I'm going to part the Red Sea. With that staff, you're going to strike a rock and water is going to come out of it to feed two million people. With that staff, one day you're going to hold it up and I'm going to give you victory over the Amalekites. With that staff, just with what's in your hand, you can throw it down and I'll turn it into a serpent and you'll take it up again and it'll become a rod. David, what's in your hand? Just a sling, God. We'll pick up some stones and let's go slay a giant. Samson, what's in your hand? Just the jawbone of an ass, Lord. Slay thousands of the enemy of God with the Spirit of the Lord upon thee, son. Little lad in the wilderness with Jesus, what's in your hand? I just got a sack lunch, Lord. What's in it? Two fishes and five lords and five loaves. Five loaves. Feed 5,000 plus with it. Martin Luther, what's in your hand? Got a hammer and nail here, Lord. Nail your 95 thesis and begin one of the greatest reformations in religion that the world has ever known. Oh, imprisoned John Bunyan in Bedford Jail, away from his wife, away from his little blind daughter, away from his church, away from the people of God, away from the thousands that he would have preached to and influenced. God says, John Bunyan, what do you have in your hand? He says, I got a pen, Lord. Right. Right. And instead of thousands, he touched millions through Pilgrim's Progress. You got excuses? God says today to you, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Here, now, we'll close with the signs of triumph over our excuses. Oh, yes, beloved. The signs of triumph over our excuses. See, a sign is given you to believe something that you cannot see. This happens to me so many times when I'm traveling in my car. Because now as you get older, you really need to use the bathroom sometimes. A lot quicker than you used to. Young people, it's coming. And so you start looking for those signs that there's a gas station somewhere. And finally you see one. And there's a gas station, and you can't see the gas station, but you know the sign is telling you that it's there, and you believe it. And you say, I can make it. I can make it. Because you've been given the sign of triumph. Well, here the Lord gives these powerful signs to help them to believe in something that they couldn't even see. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear or of excuse, but of power and of the sound mind, even to the pulling down of strongholds. Do you believe that verse? Do you believe that's just for other people? 
Or do you believe that's, that's for me too? That's for you too? And so the first one is the rod. The rod. Oh, so symbolic of the cross. So symbolic of the gospel. So symbolic of our victory over the devil. What did it turn into? A serpent. And the serpent was just taken up and was subservient to the man of God and to God. That sign, beloved, know that, that, that Satan, uh, though he is a terrible foe, he does not have any power over any of the ones that Christ has set free. For with his cross he crushed the head of the serpent. In verse 20 of our chapter, look at what it is called. It is not called the shepherd's staff. It is not called Moses' stick. Are you looking in our chapter, in chapter 4, in verse 20? What is this sign now called? The rod of God. Oh, beloved, with this rod of God, he's going to part the Red Sea. Genesis, uh, Exodus 14, 16. He's going to bring water from the rock. Exodus 17, 6. He's going to raise it up. And you remember, even when Moses' hand got tired, that Aaron and her came alongside him and, and held it up so that the people of the Lord would have the victory. The victory over Satan. We have the victory. Whenever that you feel Satan is defeating you. Look to the cross. Again, listen to the gospel again. Oh, just as that serpent on a staff was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man was lifted up. Then the leprosy. Oh, man. So amazing. You know, that, just, that was just amazing there. You know, it said, he said, throw your staff on the, the ground. This is going to be powerful. Because through demonic forces, through black art and magic, when we get later on in the story, uh, the, uh, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, did you, yeah, the magicians of Egypt were able to turn their staffs into serpents as well. And, by the way, uh, God gave this nice little party trick to Aaron too, <laughs> to turn his staff, they both their staffs would do it. But I want you to know that when they threw theirs down, and they became servants, and the Egyptians' magicians, uh, ooh, that's hard to say, Pharaoh's magicians turned theirs in. Moses and Aaron's ate the snakes of the Egyptian magicians. Can you get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. There's many false gospels. There are many false uh, promises of victory over the devil, but there's only one true sign. There's only one true rod of God. But then, you know, he says, throw it down and becomes a snake. And, and Moses, this is why I know Moses is in his right mind because he runs away. <laughs> he said he, he flees from it, right? But then God said, you don't be afraid of the devil. Don't be afraid of things that are coming come against you. He said, you go up and take up that thing by the tail. Now here's Moses has some faith, probably more faith than me. I was scared to death of snakes. Moses just obeyed, and he, and he took it up. Remember when the Apostle Paul was on Malta, and the viper came out of the fire and, and bit him, 
And Paul shook it off. And the Bible says that in the, the early days of Christianity that, that they had power over even the serpents. Yes. It's awesome. And so do we have the victory over the devil in our lives. What's one of the greatest excuses? Oh, the devil made me do it. It's just a guarded lie. The devil can't make you do anything. He can tempt you. He can try to influence you. But at the, end of the, at the end of the day, the scripture says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And then, after that, he says, just put your hand inside your bosom. And so he brings it out, and he's covered in leprosy. Well, well leprosy was the most feared disease in the world. At that time, it was a death sentence. You were going to be isolated from everyone and die a terrible death. And so leprosy has always, through Scripture, been a great symbol and picture of sin. Of sin. Hallelujah. We have the victory over sin as well. Sin cannot be excused. For the Scripture says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Hallelujah. You are uncondemned. You are washed whiter than snow by the blood of the Lamb. We have victory over Satan. We have victory over sin. And then the blood. The blood. This signifies our victory over the world. The Nile was everything to Egypt. It was almost godlike to them. It was the source of their wealth and their strength and their power. God said it's not in the blood. It's not in the water. It's in the blood. It's in the blood. The blood of Christ is our victory over this world and victory over Satan and victory over sin and our victory over the world. And they overcame Him through the blood of what? The Lamb. They overcame Him through the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12, 11. The Nile was symbolic of power, of idolatry, of the hope of Egypt and of the world. But God said, I'm going to give you something more powerful. I'm going to give you the blood. The blood that was wiped over the doors, over the lintel, and over the post on the side that the death angel passed over. The blood of Jesus Christ is the most powerful element in all of the universe. I tell you, like we told those sweet saints, at the nursing home, there is power, power, wonder-working power. And the blood of the Lamb takes away all our excuses. May we come today to the end of our excuses. May the Lord bless you and keep you and use you as our prayer.